This is a reminder you're listening to the delayed broadcast here on Faith FM. If you would like to listen to the live show live and participate in the quiz and the prizes and all the other fun things that happen on Faith FM Breakfast Show, then simply download the Faith FM app available on Apple or Android platforms. Welcome back to Faith FM, continuing on with our show. We've come to encounter with God, our section where we've been going through Daniel chapter 5, our 20 million movements. It's been absolutely fantastic. But, but of course, before we get into that, you need to do a, another clue for the quiz. Or Shell, producer Shell, has the quiz been answered? Yes, it has been. Quick, let me know who's answered the quiz. Oh, and Lyle is running. He's racing into the studio. He's decided to join us for our uh, encounter with God. Hey, Lyle, how you doing, man? Yeah, doing good, doing good, doing good. <laughs> I'm surviving. Good to be back on the breakfast show. Awesome. Hey, I just, I've just been happening. informed that uh, we've got a winner for the quiz. We do indeed. Um, but... We might get that name too. Oh, here we go. No, it's no, no. It's a nine-year-old. Nine-year-old answered it from uh, Kurumbong, I think it was. It was Kurumbong? Just uh, the producer shell is um, just getting us the details here right now. We will let you know the correct answer was Bethlehem and... Um, nine-year-old, is that Ayan? Oyan. Oyan. Yeah, shout out Oyan from, from Kurumbong. who's just smashed this clue. It's awesome, yeah, and the answer was Bethlehem. Some of the clues coming up were getting a little bit uh, easier, you know, by the time we got down to, you know, Mary and Joseph return to this city at the time of Jesus' birth. So, yeah. Uh, we're about know, to head into the easy the easy the ones. The real easy ones. But, yeah, no, shout out, Oyen, for getting it, like, on the, on the difficult ones, on the uh, more Old Testament-centric clues. But, of course, I was just, I was just uh, getting people up to speed on Encounter with God, how we're in the book of Daniel doing a Bible study, and we were talking about yesterday. I'd like to encourage all of our parents out there to... You know, get your kids to tune in for the breakfast show and get yes. them searching for the answers. Do you, you know, know, okay. kids know how to use their Bible software so they can search for the answers for the quiz. Hopefully, this person's listening. Shout out, Brayden. Um, I met this guy named Brayden at summer camp. Um, I, I, I did summer camps uh, in January. I was there as a, as a counselor. I looked out after a group of kids, but also I was helping um, run the mountain bike um, thing, which was just so much fun. Fun. I love mountain biking so much, and we were doing downhill and jumps. And there was a guy there that I met named Braden. He was a camper at the camp, and um, he was telling me all about how he listens to Faith FM, how he loves the show. Um, he was telling me about the time, like he was telling me about some of his favorite moments, his favorite highlights, and one of his favorites was when um, you know you guys woke me up at big camp with the pots and the pans. <laughs> um, yes, but yeah, that was just super encouraging. It was actually it was really funny. We were like walking up, and he's like, "You." sound like the Lawson that speaks on Faith FM and it's like I am the Lawson who speaks on Faith FM and then we had an awesome conversation about God and life and Faith FM and, and so yeah shout out to our younger listeners that he's about you know 16 years old and um, yeah it's just great to see young people who are interested in the Bible who are tuning into our program and um, who are following along with us yeah I just yeah it's so so good so I, I yeah I implore all of you guys get your kids in on this absolutely all right, so we are in our encounter with God. We go to the book of Daniel, where we are going to um, be studying all about the life and times of, well, 
Daniel. Daniel, yeah. Daniel chapter 5 is where we are up to. This is the story of Belshazzar's feast. And, of course, don't be confused between Belshazzar and Belteshazzar. Mm. Belteshazzar is another name for Daniel. Belshazzar is the crown prince. Um, so a quick review of what we've studied so far. We've done some historical we've background. We've done a lot of context on this A lot of context, and you need a lot of context for this story to understand what is actually going on. We've looked at Nabonidus, who was Belshazzar's father, and we've looked at you know his whole relationship. He was an Assyrian, where he came from, what he did, how he was out in the desert, you know, meditating and being a mystic and all that kind of thing, how he was not popular in Babylon, and how that... Uh, Belshazzar, his son, had been ruling in his in his place. We also looked at Cyrus the Persian, who, when this story takes place, is laying siege to the city of Babylon, and how he is a type of Christ, and how he came into being mm. um, an, an emperor of the world, and he's well on his way when this story takes place. He's camped outside the city. We even talked briefly about how he captured the city, and how when he captured the city, you know, history records that he captured it without a battle. Mm. He entered the city on the night of this great festival when everybody was kind of blind drunk. He, um, in a short space of time, secured the city, killed the royal guard, then put out a proclamation that everybody was to bring their weapons to the citadel and anybody who was caught armed the next day would be killed. But if you weren't caught armed, you were fine. You'd be, you'd be let off. This was, this was the Persian deal. Mm. And there's a lot of evidence to show that there were a lot of people who, you know, they were rather upset with Nabonidus and Belshazzar and saw Cyrus as being a good alternative. And so they did not see any need to, to rebel against Cyrus. But there is more to the story than just that. Mm. Because Cyrus, I mean, Belshazzar does something very specific in this story we need to talk about. One more piece of historical context before we get there. Yes. Nabonidus was unpopular with the Babylonians. Okay. He's an Assyrian. He's worshipping a different god. He's trying to change the gods Uh of the Babylonians. And he has not been honoring their god Marduk at his annual festival. Mm. So... He's had this, you know, 10 years of self-imposed exile out in the desert. Well, not self-imposed. Yeah, but he's out there doing his mystical thing and letting his son, who is half Chaldean or Babylonian, Mm. run the empire. And so his son is the one who goes to the temple in place of, you know, himself and so forth. And he figures, well, you know, maybe this will be a little bit more stable. When the Persians invade, the Persian deal is good. Yeah. And, you know, they're offering the Persian deal to everybody. And so Nabonidus has to have a way of counteracting the Persian deal. Yes. One of the things that he does is go through all the cities of of the Babylonian Empire and take all the gods. Mm-hmm. And you've got this huge procession, and, and it's been depicted on you know various artworks and and so forth. Is huge procession of wagon loads and wagon loads of gods. Mm. He's raided all of these, all of his own cities, and taken their gods, and taken taken them to Babylon, and he's holding them there hostage. And it goes a little bit like this: If you want your gods back. You will fight for me because I have your gods hostage in the city of Babylon. Now, Babylon can't be taken. Uh, it's an impregnable city. 
And so he has this very, it's a very unique, it's a very unique strategy to counteract the Persian deal because they're looking at the Persian deal and going, you know, this is better than the Babylonian deal. Um, let's go with Cyrus and Sarah and and and, and Nabonidus is like, well, we have your gods. If you want your gods back, if you want to see your gods again, we have them. You will fight for us. Oh man, well didn't that backfire, jeez. And so there's almost this policy that Nabonidus and Belshazzar have of demonstrating their control over everyone else's gods. Oh, okay, so it's starting to it's starting to shed a bit of light on what's happening in chapter five. Yeah. Okay, so in chapter five, and we've read it so far, but we'll uh, we, we, we'll look at it again. Here's what happens on the night of this annual festival. Mm. Belshazzar, you know, obviously he's going to have a big festival. It's going to be, you know, right across Babylon, etc. And the city is full of everybody's gods. Mm. There's one god that is missing. Yahweh is missing. Yeah, sure. There's no image of Yahweh. Mm. And even if there was, Nebuchadnezzar probably would have captured that image a long time ago and brought it to Babylon because the entire population of Judah has been taken into exile. Mm. But at this time, there was no, like, Ark of the Covenant even or no, anything. No. There was... We don't know what happened to the Ark of the Covenant. We don't know. But there's just, like, from what it says here, there's just, like, I cups. Could, I could, I could um, talk conspiracy theories on that one. But we won't. Um, we won't get too sidetracked. So, the, the, so, so he's like, okay, so there's nothing... Uh, so how do, we, how do we demonstrate... So the first thing he has to do is he has to demonstrate um, his power... Over Yahweh, because you know all the other gods, it's clear you know he's got power over them because they're in the city with him. He's captured them, and so when he has this festival, one of the reasons why he singles out the vessels and the cups and the you know plates and so forth from the temple in in, in Jerusalem is that um, it gives an opportunity for him to demonstrate his power over Yahweh. This is the kind of the best that he can do in this particular situation. Mm. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Okay, so to add to this piece of context, because it gets better. Mm. Who was Prime Minister of Babylon for 43 years? Your boy, Daniel. Daniel was Prime Minister for 43 years. And so Belshazzar has grown up in the court, Mm. in the Babylonian court, uh, with Nebuchadnezzar's grandfather, Mm. And Daniel is his prime minister, mm. Nebuchadnezzar's prime minister. This guy is well known. And he's outspokenly Hebrew. like And massively respected. Yeah. Just massive respect right across the empire. And a few years previously, Daniel had another vision. In mm. fact, he had, he had his first vision. No, his second vision. Daniel has his second vision. And his second vision is very, very specific. Go over to chapter 8. Now, what you've got to remember is the book of Daniel is not written chronologically. It's written um, by subject matter. Yes. So the first half is historical. The second half is prophetic. Well, it's chronological in its subject matter. Yes. But it's not entirely chronological. Okay, so chapter 8, verse 1. Yes. During the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, I, Daniel, saw another vision following the one that I had that had already appeared to me. Okay, so what I want you to notice is that chapter 8 in chronology 
comes before chapter 5 because chapter 5 is where Belshazzar loses his life and his kingdom. Mm. So this is happening previous to that. Yes. And there's a little bit of dispute over dating of when exactly the third year of Belshazzar's reign was because, you know, he was a, he was a co-regent and that co-regency varied in a number of different uh, respects. Mm. In this vision, he sees the vision of a ram mm-hmm. with two horns. Yeah. Now, a beast in Bible prophecy is a symbol of a nation, and the angel Gabriel comes and tell him, tells him who the ram is. And this ram, the Bible says, conquers everything. Yeah. Okay, so would you like to read for us who Gabriel says that the ram is? Mm. Verse 20. Verse 20, the Bible says, The two-horned ram represents the kings of Media and Persia. Okay, so here, here you have the prime minister of the empire. Mm who is somebody who is renowned for explaining visions. Mm -hmm. He's had two visions now, and he's interpreted the one vision of Nebuchadnezzar, and they all kind of say the same thing. Mm. Babylon is going to be conquered by somebody else. Now he names who somebody else is. Yeah. He's like, Babylon is going to be conquered by the Medes and the Persians. Mm. So you've got this very, very prominent individual who is long retired when this story happens, but still alive and well, who has made this prophecy, Babylon is going to be conquered by the Medes and the Persians. Mm. That's going to be a very well-respected prophecy, and it's going to be incredibly dangerous for Belshazzar, because what this prophecy is doing is it is completely undermining the morale of the Babylonian army that he needs to have at his disposal to be able to fight the Medes and the Persians. Mm-hmm. You combine that with the Persian deal that the Persians are, are offering and you can kind of see how the, you know, the city would be a bit ambivalent about whether they're going to put their lives on the line for a lost cause and, or even if it is a good cause. Mm, yeah. Now, if the Assyrians take a city, you know, if a city surrenders to the Assyrians even, they're going to burn it. Yeah. You know, if it puts up a bit of resistance and then changes their mind and like, yeah, we surrender now, they're going to burn the place. Yeah. Cyrus is going to come in. He's going to walk in. He's going to change the government. He's going to keep some of their favorite governors and maybe even their king and place them in positions of power and then move on to conquer the rest of the world. Mm. And nothing bad is going to happen. The economy is going to thrive. And so you combine this with the Persian deal and the fact that, you know, their most prominent sort of retired statesman has said, yeah, the Persians are going to win this one. I've seen it in a dream. Mm. And you can kind of see how bad this was for Belshazzar. Not only that, but taking into account the disdain that the people had for, you know, Nabonidus and Belshazzar already, that they were not fans of these guys. And we were talking yesterday about how, like, the Persian deal would come up and a city would send the head of the king, you know, over the top of the wall as like, a, okay, we'd rather have the Persian deal than be under this king. And it's like, Belshazzar needed to take control of that situation because it's like, he is in very, you know, very easily his power could be undermined here by the citizens and by Cyrus. And it's just like, oh, well, well, it's over. And it's being very directly undermined by Daniel at this point. And this festival that is taking place, this annual festival that is taking place is a really, really important festival in which Belshazzar can stand up and say, hey, look, we're still worshipping Marduk. 
Mm. We're still honouring Marduk. Nothing has changed. We still live in an impregnable city. Nothing has changed there. Nobody's going to invade the city. You don't need to worry about anything. And okay, this God Yahweh has made this prophecy, but you also don't need to worry about this God Yahweh because what we're going to do is we're going to have this big festival to Marduk and we're going to publicly defy Yahweh at this festival and we are going to publicly demonstrate to everybody here you don't need to worry about Yahweh's prophecies because we completely dominate Yahweh. All of his stuff is in our temple. We are worshipping our gods, with our god, our god Marduk with his stuff and so this is just the ramblings of an old man. Oh man, what a what a politician! This guy is really. This is a very big PR event, right? It's here. a massive, massive PR event to try and reestablish his credibility, mm. and you know, in in the empire as leader of the empire and as leader of the army and the military. Mm. We often read the story of you know Belshazzar's feast, and it's just like, oh, they did this, and then that happened. No, no, no. There's a whole lot going on behind the yes. scenes here. All right, so. Now we need to read what happened. Yes. Starting. Okay, some people say that, uh, you know, Herodotus was the first screenwriter. No, he wasn't. No. This is this is this tops anything that Herodotus ever wrote. Right, starting in verse five. So basically catching up to this point, they're yep. they're just they're drinking out of the vessels. That's right. They're just having a big party. They're having a big party. Then verse five, suddenly they saw the fingers of a human hand writing on the plaster wall of the king's palace near the lampstand. The king himself saw the hand as it wrote, and his face turned pale with fright. His knees knocked together in fear, and his legs gave way beneath him. The okay, whoa, 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 whoa. We've got to stop there and read that from the KJV. This is a bit of a yours, G-rated version. Yours is the G-rated version. The KJV just translates it as it was. Yeah. But before we read it from the KJV, put yourself in Belshazzar's shoes. You've gone up against Yahweh. Yeah. You're not worried about any of the other gods. You've captured them. They're in your city. Yahweh is a bit of an unknown quantity. And Yahweh has a reputation in this city. Your grandfather was a worshipper of Yahweh mm. for two years before he died. You know? Um, he has a big reputation. And Yahweh's prophecy is the one is, is, is probably your worst your worst um the worst thing that is happening to undermine the morale of your uh, soldiers. And so you need to have a very strong showing against Yahweh. And so you've gone up against this guy who's rescued people out of a fiery furnace in the past. Yeah. And suddenly you see a hand. Mm. Just a hand. Nothing else. Just a hand. And it's writing on the wall. How are you feeling that when this happens? So freaky. Like, I think especially, like, you can imagine, and we were talking about this when we started Daniel 2, how religion at that time was just kind of played up, and it was the omens, and it was just so... It was just so You see this happening in this environment when you are doing what you're doing? This can't <sighs> be good. It, it's just... It would just freak you out. It's unlike anything you've ever seen. Okay, Take the context aside. We're just sitting here in a studio when we saw that happen. <laughs> that would be freaky enough. But when you look at the context of what was happening here, you know, this drunken feast where they're all, you know, 
blind and drunk and they're worshipping Marduk and they're defying this god mm. and, they, and they need to have a very strong showing against this god and suddenly... And, and you place that hand in that context? That is terrifying on an altogether different level and even though he doesn't understand what was being written, I guarantee he was just reading doom, doom, yeah. doom, doom. He knew what was going on from the perspective of like, okay, I've defied this god and they've just shown up. Like, what you know... The only thing that he could expect at that point is death. Yeah. Like he's just like, oh, and God's here to kill me. And you know his response is very appropriate. Okay, so let me read his appropriate response in the King James version, where it says that the joints of his loins were loosed. That means he wet himself. <laughs> That's the literal modern translation of the joints of his loins were loosed. Tells us about a man who ruled Babylon and all its land. Around the city he built a wall and declared that Babylon would never fall. He had concubines and wives, he called his Babylon paradise. On his throne he drank and ate, but for Belshazzar it was getting late. For he was weighed in the balance and found wanting. His kingdom was divided, couldn't stand. He was weighed in the balance and found wanting. His houses were built upon the sand. Well, the people feasted and drank their wine and praised the false gods of his time. All holy things they scorned and mocked, but suddenly all their mocking stopped. For on the wall there appeared a hand, nothing else, there was no man in blood. And begin to write And Belshazzar couldn't hide his fright For he was weighed in the balance And found wanting His kingdom was divided Couldn't stand He was weighed in the balance And found wanting His houses were built upon the sand Belshazzar tried but couldn't find A man who could give him peace of mind But Daniel the prophet, the man of God He saw the writing on the wall in blood Belshazzar asked him what it said And Daniel turned to the wall and read My friend, you're weighed in the balance and found wanting Your kingdom is divided, it can't stand You're weighed in the balance and found wanting your houses are built upon the sand. How appropriate was that song? Yes. Johnny Cash what with uh, Belshazzar. Oh, so good. Such a good song. It fits perfectly into what we are reading about. Mm. Okay, so we talked about how uh, Belshazzar um, kind of lost it right here. Mm. Um, why don't you keep, pick up the story in verse 7 there, please? The king shouted um, for the enchanters, astrologers, and fortune tellers uh, to be brought before him. He said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever can read this writing and tell me what it means will be dressed in purple robes of royal honor and will have a gold chain placed around his neck. 
he will become the third highest ruler in the kingdom of Babylon. Why does he offer him the third place? Because he can't offer him the second place. Because he's second Because he is second yeah, place. Yeah, he's second place. <laughs> <laughs> and he kind of knows it. What you're going to find out about Belshazzar, he's young, he's an upstart, he's arrogant, um, and he has a very, very different attitude to life than what Nebuchadnezzar had, mm. and particularly to Daniel. Mm. Okay, so he gives this proclamation out. He calls together the Babylonian cabinet, you know, all of the counselors, the wise men, the astrologers, the soothsayers, the Chaldeans, etc., to uh, explain this. You know, and this is this is a bit of a repetitive theme through the book of Daniel. Mm. These guys have been there in chapter one, kind of in the background in chapter one, but they were there, Melzar and Ariok and these kind of guys. They failed epically in chapter two. They fail epically in chapter three. They fail epically in chapter 4, and now they're about to fail epically again in chapter 5. Okay, so keep reading for us. Um, Verse 8, But when all the wise men came in, none of them could read the writing or tell him what it meant. So the king grew even more alarmed, and his face turned pale. His nobles, too, were shaken. But when the queen, but when the queen mother, when the Queen Mother, I think that's printed wrong. When the Queen Mother heard the the Queen Mother heard what was happening, she now it's actually correct. The Queen Mother is the mother of the Queen. Is the mother of um is the mother of Belshazzar. In other words, Nabonidus's wife, who okay. is Nebuchadnezzar's daughter. Okay. So when Nebuchadnezzar's daughter, yes, she comes in to talk to her son. She said, Bel- she said to Belshazzar, Long live the king. Don't be so pale and frightened. There is a man in your kingdom who has within him the spirit of the holy gods. During Nebuchadnezzar's reign, this man was found to have insight, understanding, and wisdom like that of the gods. Your predecessor, the king, your predecessor, King Nebuchadnezzar, made him chief over all the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and fortune tellers of Babylon. This man, Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar, Belteshazzar, um, has exceptional ability and is filled with divine knowledge and understanding. He can interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Okay. Is that the end of the verse? Call for Daniel and he will tell you what the writing means. It's hard for me to tell where your verses end and yeah. your translation is <laughs> so different from mine. Okay, so she says, so, so basically this is, um, this is Nebuchadnezzar's daughter. Mm. She would have grown up with Daniel. Yeah, you know she would have. She would have. Daniel would have been like a uh, a frequent visitor. You know Nebuchadnezzar, dad's best mate. You know these guys would have been on first time, first name basis. Mm. Uh, she goes in there, sees what's happening, is like, just get Daniel. Mm. Don't worry about these guys. Just get Daniel. He will sort this for you. Belshazzar and Nabonidus have sort of retired Daniel off when they come to power. He's been sort of sidelined. Yeah, okay, you were prime minister under Nebuchadnezzar, but thank you for your service. You go and retire right now, and we will use our own guys. Um, thank you very much. Where does the Bible say that? The Bible doesn't say that. You find that by basically from secular history. Okay. Um, and so, you know, they've got their own guys that they have in, in, in places of power and so forth. And so, yeah, this Daniel guy, we're not going to worry about this Jewish guy, this Jewish slave. Mm. And here's where you see this massive difference come through in the character and the personality of Nebuchadnezzar versus Belshazzar, his grandson. Mm. Nebuchadnezzar recognized Daniel as a senior statesman. 
Yes. And as an incredibly wise, you know, and useful guy within his kingdom. Mm. He doesn't care what background it comes from. He doesn't care that he's Jewish. Mm. Wouldn't care whether he's Jewish, Assyrian, or otherwise. He doesn't doesn't care about it. He just cares that here's a guy that can get the job done. Yeah, you know, don't care where he comes from, so long as he can run the show, and he can run the show. Mm. No question about that. These guys come to power, and they're like, "Well, who's Daniel?" You know, mm. okay. Well, they should have stopped and considered that the guy was prime minister like for like forty three years, and he probably <laughs> has some good things to say. But like, nah, nah, not having anything to do with this guy. Out to go, out to pasture, and they get on with running the kingdom. And you really see that come through in this next verse. Uh, verse 13, yep. uh, the Bible says, So Daniel was brought in before the king, and the king asked him, Are you, Daniel, one of the exiles brought from Judah by my predecessor, King Nebuchadnezzar? I have heard that you have the spirit of the gods within you, and that you are filled with insight, understanding, and wisdom. Okay, let's stop there. I want you to notice here, when in chapter 4, Daniel comes in to Nebuchadnezzar. Mm. Nebuchadnezzar is Obelteshazzar, master of the magicians. Yes. That's really respectful. He mm. uses his Babylonian name and his Babylonian title and is super respectful to him. And Daniel is super respectful to Nebuchadnezzar in return. Yeah. You know, oh, king, let this be to your enemies. Let this be to somebody else. Here, and yours is a little bit more polite than mine once again, but basically what he says is, is like, ah, you're that Daniel. You're that Jewish slave. I've heard about you. Mm. That's a very different response. Yes. He uses his Jewish name and he references straight up front his slave background. Yes. Rather than, rather than referencing the fact that, oh, you're Belteshazzar, former prime minister. Mm. No, you are that Jewish slave. Yeah. You're Daniel, that Jewish mm. slave. You know, that's a, that's a racial, cultural slur from an arrogant young man who is in the process of defying Daniel's God. Mm. Nevertheless, he is desperate to know what is written on the wall. And so, you know, he makes a number of promises. Verse 16. In verse 16, the Bible says, I am told that you can give interpretations uh, and solve difficult problems. If you can read these words and tell me their meaning, you will be clothed with purple robes of royal honor, and you will have a gold chain placed around your neck. You will become the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Okay, he, he's forced to give him the same promise he's given to everybody mm. else. And then you have Daniel's response. Oh, king, live forever. Let these words be to your enemies. Is that what it is? No. No, Daniel turns around and says, and, and Daniel's just been offered the prime ministership mm. again. Yes. And incredible wealth and incredible honor. <laughs> and Daniel just turns around, looks at Belshazzar and says, keep it. Yes. Like, I'm going to read it anyway, but keep your gifts. Mm. And what's more, I'm going to tell you a few home truths about yourself before I tell you what it's all about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like full on uh, where Daniel heads with this one right here. And so in verse 17, Daniel Anson said to the king, let your gifts be to yourself mm. and give your rewards to someone else. Yet I'll re read the writing under the king and make known the interpretation. 
And he says, You, O king, the most high God, gave Nebuchadnezzar, your, your father, a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. And for the majesty that he gave him, all nations and languages and trembled and feared before him, whom he would he killed, whom he would he kept alive, and whom he would he set up, and whom he would he pulled down. But when his heart was lifted up in pride, uh, and his mind was hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly authority, and they took his glory from him. And you knew all this and still rebelled. Oof. It's King of Babylon, the Downing family. King of Babylon, bow your knees, the writing's on the wall. Your kingdom's days are numbered and it's just about to fall. Your gods of silver, bronze and gold can't save your soul at all. So King, you better sing some praise to heaven. The writing's on the wall, now once in Babylon. A king upon his throne. Let wine and foolish pride go to his head Then there appeared one night A hand by the candlelight And it wrote a note and this is what it said King of Babylon, bow your knees The writing's on the wall Your kingdom's days are numbered And it's just about to fall your gods of silver, bronze, and gold can't save your soul at all. So, King, you better sing some praise to heaven. The writing's on the wall.
At Hamilton Adventist Church in Newcastle, we have a food pantry service for the community. Everyone is welcome to join us for a free dinner. Enjoy good company and have a great time. All you need is $10 to buy a numbered ticket and you can collect a trolley's load of food ranging from fruits, veggies, tin food, pasta bread and toiletries. Every Thursday, the food pantry starts at 4.45pm with a 5pm start for dinner. Find us at Hamilton Adventist Church at 105 Lindsay Street, Hamilton, every Thursday evening. All will be welcomed with love and a smile. We really hope to see you there. If you've been enjoying Faith FM Radio, then we'd like to invite you to be part of our family of faith at the King Island Seventh-day Adventist Church. We meet at 9am every Saturday morning at 4 Albert Street, Curry, to spend time together studying God's Word and growing closer as friends. For more information or if you have any questions, call Pastor Barry on 0409 416 697. That's 0409 416 697. Can't wait to meet you. Oh, for a closer walk with God, a calm and heavenly frame, a light to shine upon the road. Leading to the land Where is that blessedness I knew When first I saw the Lord Where is that soul-refreshing view Of Jesus and His Word With God, can answer in my 
purer light shall mark the road that leads me to the land. That guys, that was uh, Keith and Kristen Getty with "Oh for a Closer Walk with God." Sorry, Lawson, did I just cut you off? Yeah, well, we did the. You were super excited at the same time. In. Yeah, <laughs> the, the, the well, <laughs> there you go. Welcome back to Faith FM for question of the day. Lyle, yes, are, are you ready? I am. Okay, here we go. Question of the day. All right, bring it on. Okay, so in relationship to our question yesterday about, about the, the nine commandments, the nine commandments, and the we've Sabbath, actually got a PhD guy out there who's claiming that there are nine commandments in the New Testament. Wild, <laughs> it was wild, outlandish. Right. Yeah, um, but in relationship to that, and also the claim that there's nowhere in the Old Testament that says that a Christian should keep the Sabbath. What about Colossians two sixteen? Okay, let's turn to Colossians chapter 2.16 and let's see if uh, this particular individual was correct in what he was saying that you can keep any day that you like. So Colossians 2.16, when you first read it, you'll go, yep, he was absolutely correct, where it says this, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. Mm-hmm. And you don't read the verse before and you don't read the verse afterwards, you would say, well, there you go. Let no one judge you. Keep any day you want. Mm. We'll keep the, we, we, you know, God's people, the Sabbath was instituted in Eden. It was kept by God's people right the way down through uh, history. Uh, it was kept by the Jews. It was kept by Jesus. Jesus gave us an example of how to keep it. It was kept by the disciples. The disciples kept it. It will be kept for eternity in heaven. But there's going to be this, you know, about a 1,500-year gap in the middle where you can choose any day because that kind of makes sense somehow. It's like, what on earth? And you sort of have to, when you read a, a verse like this that is out of kilter with every other passage mm. of the Bible and is a direct contradiction of what Jesus told people to be doing right down through history and particularly at the end of time in Matthew chapter 24, mm. then um, you know, where he gives a direct command to keep the Sabbath to Gentile people at the end of time, um, then you've got to say, okay, either the Bible contradicts itself or I've missed something. Mm. Those are the only two conclusions you can come to. Yes. You've either got Matthew twenty four twenty contradicting Colossians two verse sixteen or you've missed something. And I would like to say that you have missed what the Bible says in verse fourteen through seventeen. To give a little bit of context to that, what you're going to find in the Bible is that there are a number of different laws. Mm-hmm. You have uh, the Ten Commandments. That's the eternal constitution of the government of God. Mm-hmm. It's the law of love. 
Um, it's a law that defines what love is. Then you have the ceremonial law that was temporary. It begins after sin, as a result of sin. It involves death. It does not predate sin. Um, it involves sacrifice of animals and religious ceremonies. Um, the Bible says it's against us. It is contrary to us. It is temporary that it was finished when Jesus died on Calvary. came to an end. No more sacrifices since then. That's why we don't sacrifice animals today, because that law came to an end. Mm. You have laws of health and hygiene. That's kind of sensible. Uh, we're particularly putting those into practice right now with the coronavirus scare. You've got laws of the theocracy. They ended with the Babylonian invasion. They were the civil laws of ancient Israel. Um, and you know, so these are some of the different laws that you've got. The question here is, is Paul referencing the ceremonial law or is he referencing the Ten Commandments? Now, when you read, and we don't have time for it, but you read in Ezekiel where Paul is quoting from, he's actually quoting from the ceremonial law. Mm -hmm. But we can see it when we read the context. The Bible says in verse 14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. Mm. Nothing against you in the Ten Commandments. It was written by the finger of God in stone. It wasn't handwritten in a book as the ceremonial law was, which was contrary to us. Mm-hmm. Nothing contrary about the Ten Commandments. They are a blessing to everybody, but sacrificing animals, that's not so much fun. Um, nailing it to the cross. It says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink. Do the Ten Commandments have anything to say about meat and drink? No, that's no. the ceremonial law that has meat offerings and drink offerings. Um, or of a holy day, or of the new moons. Okay, so the feast days and the new moons the New Moon Festivals, um, those we find in the ceremonial laws. And then it says, and of the Sabbath days. And this is something that people often admit, miss. There was two kinds of Sabbaths. Mm. There was the weekly Sabbath that we still keep today. Mm-hmm. There were the annual Sabbath days, and there were seven of them per year. They could fall on any day of the week. Then it goes on, and this is the real clincher in verse 17, which are a shadow or a symbol of things to come. They point forward to Jesus Christ. Mm. Symbol of things to come, but the body is of Christ. So they were symbols of Christ who was to come. Now, when you look at that passage right there, the seventh day Sabbath points the exact opposite direction. It points back to creation. It was never a symbol of things to come. Mm. But all of the ceremonial Sabbaths that could fall on any day of the week they all pointed forward to Jesus Christ and to his ministry. This passage is not talking about the Seventh-day Sabbath. It is talking about the ceremonial Sabbaths of the ceremonial law. Mm. And, of course, the readers back in the day would have gone, would have known straight away that, yeah, Paul's quoting from you know, Ezekiel chapter 48, whatever it is. Um, we know that uh, this is ceremonial law, and they would not have been confused by it. Anyway, this is Matt and Josie Minicus with Temple of Time. took six days and created earth and moon and stars and sun on the
Back, guys. That was Matt and Josie Minikas with Temple of Time here on Faith FM as Lawson and producer Shell sort of trade insults with each other I through the glass. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> 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 We're coming to the end of our show, and Lawson has chosen something which is very topical yes. to the subject of the Sabbath. And so, yes. if you've got questions about the Sabbath, we had a few people who had um, questions about the Sabbath yesterday and wanted some material on it. This is a great opportunity to call in right now and to get some material on this subject. So the number to call is 1-800-324-843. And what have you got for us? Okay, I have a book called When God Said Remember by Mark Finley. Okay, so Mark Finley is one of the, um, in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, he's probably one of our most significant evangelists, um, TV evangelists from the United States, former speaker director for It Is Written, um, and then um, general conference um, evangelism director, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. So very, very, very mm. highly qualified. And so if you would like to know about um, why Seventh-day Adventists go to church on the Sabbath day, this is a great book that will help to explain the reasons behind that. Of course, you're welcome to call us through. We're here with any questions you've got, but we kind of are limited on time. And so this will give you the opportunity to sit down in a relaxed way, to go through the book, to uh, study it, and then, of course, you can send through your questions here if you've got any questions that are left after. I don't think you'll have any questions after reading this one through. Mm. Um, so give us a call right now first caller through gets this book uh, Why God Said Remember by Mark Finley 
324-843 or text us on 0491-064-669. Yes, you can. Of course, you've been listening to Faith FM. We have tremendously enjoyed your company. And remember to talk faith, live faith, and act faith. And you'll go strong in Jesus Christ. Sorry.